Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so my guest this week is Dirk Friel, the co-founder of Training Peaks, which is a web-based platform that allows endurance athletes the ability to plan workout schedules, track their fitness, and analyze their performance. Dirk started Training Peaks with his dad in the late 90s, right around the internet boom, and built the platform to help move cyclists and triathletes off of their handwritten logs and spreadsheets and into a more data-driven way to manage their training. Since then, Training Peaks has expanded to pretty much every sort of endurance sport and is used by everyone from recreational athletes training for their first 50K to riders on the Tour de France. Dirk and I had a really fun conversation about a whole lot of things, including how he started a software company with no software experience, machine learning and artificial intelligence, growing up with a world-renowned endurance coach as a father, and a whole lot more. And before we get into that chat, though, I do want to take a quick minute and encourage you all to check out our Blister membership and all the benefits it offers, including access to all of our flash reviews and deep dives, personalized gear recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes, discounts on a bunch of really sweet products we love, and a whole lot more. So check out our Blister membership via the link in the show notes. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with Dirk Friel. Dirk, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about Training Peaks, which you co-founded back in what, like 1999 now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, another few decades ago. Yeah, so it's a platform that I've been using uh, in conjunction with my coach for a few few years now. Sweet. Um, and I, I use it daily, upload all my runs there. Uh, my coach puts in uh, my training plan and I think... It's the most valuable for me because it, it allows me to know like when I need to take a rest, which is something I'm, mm. I'm pretty bad at. Um, but I think a good place to start in this conversation is just by asking, what is Training Peaks for those that might not be familiar with uh, the product? Yeah, I mean, the sweet spot for Training Peaks is when you have a goal. You know, you're, you're, you're shooting for a goal. You're trying to maximize um, your result. And that could be just finishing, you know, finishing your first ultra or whatever it might be. You need to start to graduate away from how do I compare to other people today? You know, who did I beat or who beat me? And you need to start to figure out what should I do tomorrow um, to optimize training. So really, you know, we try and connect um, athletes with expert instruction, you know, really trying to pair athletes with coaches, with training plans, with sound advice. Um, We're kind of coach centric. You know, we have tens of thousands of coaches that are customers of ours, but we see ourselves helping, you know, at the end of the day, we need to, we, we want to send those coaches bigger checks than they send to us. <laughs> you know, we need to help them grow their business and, and then we'll be successful. So we are kind of a central uh, point to manage all the data coming in, not only the actual training data, but we're compatible with all kinds of stuff like whoop, you know, sleep sensors and, you know, body weight, this and that. So there's, I don't know, hundreds of different devices and apps that we're compatible with. Likewise, we'll send data out to other apps, such as Super Sapiens is a new app that tracks blood glucose. And they actually pull the workout of the day. So they overlay that with their data. 
Um, so it's an open kind of ecosystem that we play within. But again, our sweet spot is really around expert instruction. We have other businesses and all of them relate to deliberate practice. We are a deliberate practice business. We, we believe in setting a goal, get expert instruction, focus practice and immediate feedback. And that's at a micro level on a day-to-day basis, but also at the macro level of planning the year or multi-year plan. Um, so yeah, and it really started because I was a coach and I needed a better way than using the fax machine and email attachments back in the 90s. So that's really how it all kind of, that, that was the start of it. So on a practical level, how might an athlete or a coach, I guess we can talk about both, uh, yeah. use training peaks on like a daily basis? Yeah, well, I mean, these days it's so simple to connect your devices to your phone, you know, via Bluetooth. Um, and then from there, you know, people are used to connecting um, that whatever app you might use, Garmin, you know, you can then select other partners to, to send that data to, you know, or Sunto is the same, Polar, et cetera. But they're all compatible with many different apps of which, you know, Training Peaks is one of them. But just setting it up on the phone. So you hit stop on your watch. It gets to your phone, goes up to the cloud, gets to Training Peaks. You really don't have to do anything. It just automatically pretty much appears in your account in Training Peaks. And then from there, if you are connected to a coach, what's great is a lot of coaches will put on um, notifications. So when new data comes in for an athlete of theirs, they'll get an immediate notification. And then the coach can turn around, take a look at the data and give immediate feedback back to the athlete. And that's at a very high level, you know, premium one-to-one level, you know, um, coaching service. But even if you don't have a coach and you just have a training plan, you might have a target number of miles, you know, to hit this week, what, you know, 35 miles or something. And once the data starts coming in, you can then go to the dashboard and see how you're tracking. Um, first of all, did you hit today's um, planned target, you know, plan versus actual compliance? And we have green, yellow, red kind of uh, color scheme. So if you hit today's um, target, turns green. If you don't, turns red. So a lot of, a lot of athletes chase um, th- those green highlights every day. And if you hit green every day, then at the end of the week, you will have hit, you know, the target for the week and, you know, it kept you on track. So yeah, so athletes can certainly use our coach directory. We have a coach match service to to pair athletes with the best coach, um, you know, that's right for them and their needs and their goals. Um, we also have training plans. So if you're not ready for a coach, you can get a you know a basic training plan to kind of get you on your way um, and give you some expert instruction. Do you approach those different like users differently? I guess hmm. like is there a specific kind of side of training peaks that a coach sees versus uh, someone that is like self-coached or an athlete? Huh. Well, we certainly, uh, you know, go after coaches differently. We tend to go through the, the national governing bodies or where they get certified. We want to be an educational resource. So I think when we think about coaches, we think about helping them get more educated um, helping them grow their business. So it's a different conversation when we maybe approach coaches you know, it's much more of a B2B type communications and to help them become more efficient and more effective as a coach and deliver a better quality service to their athlete. To the athlete, you know, our pitch is, hey, maximize your training, make the most of today to get prepared for the event that you're you're shooting for. So I guess that's, and then, you know, I, I mean, 
athletes will come to us looking for the technology solution. They've heard about our metrics. They want to make the most of their heart rate and pace or whatever GPS data is coming in. Others know very little about data and they just kind of want to be told, you know, given some solid advice on what to do tomorrow to help them prepare for their first marathon. And then as they get more educated as a self-coached athlete, get a training plan, they might learn about, oh, pace is a, you know, pacing is a really big thing. I went out, someone told me I went out too hard the first five miles of my marathon and I suffered the last 10, you know, oh, maybe I should like have a consultation with the coach. Maybe I should, then it's like, maybe I should work with a coach and really, truly the younger you are as an athlete, the more beneficial a coach can be, (laughs) you know, they can give, you know, a coach could really help you advance. So, uh, so much quicker than if you were just trying to figure it all out on your own. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something that I really appreciate about training peaks is that like on my end, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not a coach and I feel often like overwhelmed by a lot of data that gets like sent my way. Yeah. But your interface is pretty simple to interact with. But at the same time, it has like all these like, you know, advanced metrics that my coach can use to be like, all right, you need to like dial it back here. Or like, I wish you had worked a little bit harder yeah. during this section of your run. Um, so blending those two is, is, is really it, cool. To it's see. a good point. The coach could have a completely different view than the athlete. The athlete might just stick with the basic view and be looking at weekly hours and miles, um, whereas the that the the coach may have thirty different charts, you know, on their dashboard. And 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 you know, and a coach would might look at different data um, for each different athlete. You know, not every athlete's the same. Not every athlete has the same limiters or and or, or strengths. And so, as a coach, it's really about individualization. And so, you might look at different data you know, for different athletes, even if they're training for the same event. How many different endurance sports is Training Peaks compatible with? Wow, I don't even know. It's, it surprises me all the time. We yeah. just got three America's Cup teams. So oh, we cool. have the US team, the Israeli team, and the UK team. And the reason is they're actually cyclists now. If you know the latest, newest boats, instead of doing hand cranks, they yeah. have actually pedal. And so they're training literally they're hiring cyclists to to be on these boats so everything from the america's cup to we have an f1 um formula one race car team at nascar drivers you may not obviously call those endurance sports but they're pretty damn hard when you're in the cockpit you know 120 degrees and g-forces and the strength you need to maintain the focus so they definitely train like endurance athletes you know all the way over to our original really sports that we targeted, which was triathlon, cycling, running. But really, I don't even know how many different sports are on training peaks. Um, I think if, if a coach wants to implement structured training, a lot of times if there's a device involved and they want to analyze data, and if the event is over you know, a mile long or more than five minutes in length, <laughs> we tend to become a, a good uh, place to manage the data. We're not a great place for team sports, um, but we have a sister company, tr- um, Train Heroic, which is strength and conditioning. So it's the same thing as Training Peaks, but for, you know, really strength training. So we have team sports, a lot of team, NFL, NBA, hockey, special ops, um, you know, performance teams are on Train Heroic. I think this is a, a good spot to back up a little bit because I know you mentioned that uh, you yourself were an endurance coach for a long time. Yeah. Um, 
Can you tell me a little bit more about your background? Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess it really starts when I was 12. I fell in love with cycling. I've been racing bikes every single year since 1982. Um, I eventually got a one-way ticket to Belgium when I was 19. I spent five years racing in Europe. I did three as an amateur and then I turned pro and was two years in Europe. I retired from cycling in 2002. My, the family business, my father uh, had a coaching business. He, he is still to this day an author. He, he, he's written many books such as the Triathlete's Training Bible, Cyclist's Training Bible, the Paleo Diet for Athletes, Fast After 50, and many, many other books. Um, he's still writing books now. Um, and, but yet, the, before he became this well-known author, he was uh, an endurance coach, mainly cycling, triathlon, running. And so in 97, uh, late 90s, towards the end of my pro racing career, I started coaching with him. And again, we were using the, the fax machine, literally, um, and email attachments. There wasn't anything better. You know, you would email or fax. Not everybody had email back then, you know. And you would email or fax the schedule and wait for a fax paper to come back with the training log, you know, or, uh, you know, an email you know, typed out what they did every day along with every single day's, you know, heart rate file. Um, we started to get power files from SRM and PowerTap about 98, 99. Um, we had polar files. So we had, you know, .hrm for polar, .csv for PowerTap, .srm for SRM. And every single different device had its own a special desktop software that you had to download and open. There was nothing in the web, right? Nothing cloud-based. So we were actually the very first place where you could render and analyze heart rate and power data in a, you know, through a web browser. Um, And that vastly simplified our lives. I could then do, again, deliver better quality service, you know, to my clients. I was much more in time with the data. I could correlate the data across devices. Um, And I I think in the end, it just really, really helped our coaching business be, you know, we really upped our level and other coaches saw it and they actually wanted to use it as well. And we were like, fine, you know, so we started actually selling it to access to it, to other coaches. And so now, and this is early 2000, we now had a revenue stream coming in that was no longer coaching based. It was software sales. I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd start a software company, but here, lo and behold, we have, we now had a revenue stream based on software. So we, we actually separated the books, created a separate LLC, different bank account. Um, and from that day forward, I spent more and more time on the software side of things and helping develop and grow and market and sell uh, training peaks. So yeah, that's been a really amazing, grateful ride, really just blown away, you know, with, with how it's um, grown. It was great timing. So many different trends. We were trend early and right in many different ways. But we were also very, very early certain things. We had to try and convince athletes. Most athletes would look at their data during the training, and then they would never look at it again. And they would never download it, and it was just on their wrist, and that was it. And we had to try and convince athletes, no, you got to save this. And it was really hard. You had to save it to your desktop. 
And then from there, we had to try and convince you to log into this website and upload it to this website, like one file at a time, you know, it was really difficult, took a lot of steps for athletes, but at the end of the day, the athlete did it because the coach wanted it. It was really coach driven. The athlete wouldn't do it on their own. There was accountability on the other end and, and the advancement of coaching and endurance sports, coaching as a you know, for-profit business profession. It's actually a legitimate profession now. And it's only been 20 years. Um, so it's got a long ways to go. But those were some of the trends. that, And, and I'd say triathlon too. Triathlon, we really kind of rode that, that wave. And triathletes were our biggest, probably 80% of our business the first five years. And now it's, it's more balanced out. Yeah. What have you seen fluctuate the most in terms of like popularity and endurance sports over that time? Oh, wow. Popularity of endurance sports w- w- within our user base? Yeah, or just in general, I guess. Like, yeah. uh, I feel like right now, the sport that I cover the most ultra running is kind of cresting. Um, and I know that like, triathlon went through th- something similar in the yeah. past, like 20 or 30 years as well. Um, so yeah. I'm curious what that looks like on your end. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I definitely have seen the biggest growth like in running. You know, I mean, it took a long time to get runners to, to pay for our service. Um, they tend to not be that device centric. They tend to not really hire coaches. I, I hate to say it, but I've always said, you know, a triathlete is probably 10 times more likely to hire a coach than a, than a, than a runner, you know, and a cyclist is probably five times more likely. Right. So we just naturally kind of followed those trends, but now runners are realizing, wow, I, you know, it's not just about volume. It's about training smart. Um, even though I am, maybe you are stepping up to the ultra distance. You don't just double or triple your volume, you know, just because of the race distance. Like that's not the smart way to do things. So, oh, wow. How do I actually go about managing finishing a 50 with nutrition, you know, my pacing, altitude, weather? Again, like a coach could just make that experience so much better. So I think, you know, we, I think like, Ultra running has brought more coaching to the running scene. So that's been a, a great thing, you know, to see. That's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about is like why it feels like trail runners are like almost inherently opposed to like incorporating a lot of data. This is a huge generalization, but I know there's a, a small subsection at least, and, th- and they're very loud that, you know, do away without do it with like GPS watches and all that kind of stuff and and uh, are, are almost resistant to like wanting to know um, all their data. Um, why do you think that's the case versus, yeah, like a sport like cycling? Yeah, I see both. I It's funny because I see a lot more of what you're talking about in America. Yeah. You know, the zen of running, the feel. Right. Getting in tune with nature. Amazing. That's like, yes, that's the, that's the reason you should run, you know, you know, uh, on the trails. Love it. I do the same, but then you also have the European mentality and like the Europeans really tend to come to it from like more of a scientific, um, angle. And they really do take to the, the GPS data more. And they're about VAM and they're about how many meters of climbing did I do this, you know, today or this week. And, how does that compare to last year? And so there's 
absolute success stories on both sides of that. You know, you can't always say one is better than the other. So yeah, it's to each their own, which is the beauty of the sport. Um, I think, however, when you start working with a coach, you can't just say, I felt okay today, you know, and I, I ran two hours. The coach wants more. The coach would, that's fine if you write that in your log and say, I, I felt, me, you know, okay today. And, but then if the coach has data to go along with that and they can see, they can see your van, they can see your pace, they can see your heart rate. Well, what was your RPE today? You know, and they can compare that to the same run that you did three, three months ago. So I think when you step up and get expert instruction from a coach, they, they almost demand it. And um, so they can see more, they can kind of see the, the three dimensional picture instead of just a two dimensional picture. How does Training Peaks incorporate kind of more subjective data um, with the more like objective, yeah. like stats from the run? Yeah, subjective. I think oftentimes that's overlooked. I really hated it when my athletes would only give me their data and they wouldn't write anything. Um, I told my athletes, you know, absolutely, if there are extremes, like today you felt amazing, you are going to be world champion today. Like you need to like, tell me that you felt amazing. Right. But on the other side, like, Oh, you, 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 ha- you have a cough, you, you guys, you know, it's kind of a stuffy head, maybe the beginning of a cold. Like I need to know that kind of early on too, but I don't need to know every single day, you know, you know, we, we have 30 different metrics that you fill you could fill out every single morning if you wanted. And I know that's like overboard. So I want to know absolutely the extremes and then follow along with those trends. So I think the most important one is just RPE. You know, how did you feel after today's workout and how hard was it? You know, that's really the two most important. After that, I would say sleep quality. You know, tell me if you, you don't need to tell me your sleep quality every single night, but if you had horrible night's sleep, like record it, you know, in your daily metric. Great. If you have a whoop, device, you know, even better. Like I can see at least your hours of sleep and your REM and your deep sleep. Um, but that's not going to tell me the whole picture. I, I want to know like, how did it feel as well? I, I think oftentimes uh, the subjective data it should override the objective data. So if today's workout was to go do whatever it might be, three times 20 minute hill repeats or something, and you had a horrible night's sleep, you have a lot of stress in your life, and you just aren't feeling it, like, let's bag the workout, you know, that overrides the objective data saying we should do these these intervals today. So I'm all about that. And I, I, you know, hope more coaches, you know, welcome that it's not all about the numbers. And, you know, that's where like, uh, you know, if you think about um, artificial intelligence, et cetera, that's where that starts to fall apart. And so right now, you know, we believe in the human coach, and, but we want to make the human coach better, faster, <laughs> smarter. <laughs> yeah. So since you brought it up, um, artificial, artificial <laughs> intelligence is, uh, is, um, yeah, kind of like a, a hot topic yeah, totally. uh, these days, especially when it comes to software and, and, and coaching. I know, I imagine that you might get some pushback that says that like training piece is firing to be like a robo coach right? What do you say to that? I just mentioned that we believe in the human coach, right? I do believe, you know, we will get machine learning in order 
to give advice to the coach on what the athlete should do tomorrow. Um, but I want that coach to be the filter and to accept, deny, or edit those suggestions. But I want that machine learning or bot, if you call it, I want that thing to give back to the coach their own methodology. There is no one methodology to training. Um, there's no training peaks methodology. So, you know, I want to figure out a way for a coach to kind of like put in some of their own parameters and rules and methodology that could help train this thing to help them make decisions faster. But before that, you know, they need to be shown what are things that they should dig into now, which athlete should I concentrate on now? And what things should I look at within that athlete data, you know, first, you know, and sort of these, these insights, right? So we are not out to replace the coach. Absolutely not. We need to do this in conjunction with coaches and in partnership with coaches. Um, and I also believe, you know, coaches have empathy. They can interpret, they can help set goals. They understand your, your stress at work or with family or whatever's come up. Also, I mean, I had COVID four weeks ago. I have, I have, I have had to cancel races. The one race I have left on my schedule this year, I need to reset my goals for it. I'm just not going to podium again in that race. I, I just need to like go through that, you know, with somebody. And so that's where the human coach really can make a big, big difference um, that we believe. So we believe in the human coach and uh, don't want to replace them. Yeah. It's kind of this idea of like almost like a self-driving car, right? Like mm. you still need someone behind the wheel to make sure that like that car doesn't go off the rails or to adjust. Yeah. Is that like a fair analogy? I see rules of the road that everybody must play with, play within. There's boundaries of the road. Um, whereas in coaching, there are no boundaries. There are no rules of the road. There's only the start line and the finish line. How we get there is a million different paths. So when I think about self-driving, I'm like, okay, well, the speed limit's 65 here. Right. It's a right-hand bend. There's a yellow line. There's a white line. And there's 10 cars around me. Like, that's rules of the road. And so I can actually see self-driving cars without people before we have and, – and again, like, you trust it. Right. As an athlete, have this coach. Do I 100% trust it? I just got COVID four weeks ago. Do I trust what it's doing for me now? You know, and stress at work. Do I trust it? You know, and we're a long ways off from 100% trusting the computer to tell me what to do. I think like a training plan, a bot, an AI can get you a, a long ways, especially if you, if you have no idea what you're doing. Certainly, you know, this kind of technology can get you a long ways. Um, but the better you you get, the, the more you actually need that hum, human interact, in, intervention. So that's a funny analogy, but I kind of see it truly 100% self-driving cars before we have reliable, trustworthy, like coaching the Olympic champion 100% through uh, AI. Right. And I imagine that's like an interesting side of training peaks is that it caters to the novice athlete, but also, as you mentioned, like Olympic champions, you know, well, that require yeah. completely, completely different like levels of coaching and, and analysis. You know, the Tour de France, the coach, the, the Olympic level, we, and we still have, I don't know, 80% of the Tour de France cycle, you know, teams and almost every year's Ironman world champion. And 
we still work heavily at the you know pointy end uh, uh, you know of the race um, but the majority of our users are not on the podium um, and so we definitely you know cater to the wide spectrum um, and so what I'm seeing within the pro levels is certainly machine learning is coming into play but it's order in order to make the coach smarter but the coach is not turning it over to the computer yet gotcha how did you going back how did you get involved in like software like did you teach oh. yourself <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> um very lucky very very lucky um my father and i you know i had this idea to create this this web-based software and neither of us are software developers but a teammate and best man in my wedding was a w- web developer, um, Gear Fisher. And so I pitched him on the idea. And he obviously knew all of our books almost inside and out and knew about a lot of our methodology and coaching. So he had a day job and we stayed up late at night, you know, hacking this together. So I was lucky in that he was the technologist and I was the um, technician, if you will. Um, and so those two together, and then I had, we had my father's name and his books to kind of like market from. So it was a kind of a, a perfect trio of co-founders. What was it like growing up with a dad that was this incredibly respected endurance coach? Like how did it kind of like inform your relationship to sport? It was really good. I mean, it was not, you could see how it could become very negative. Like, uh, uh, what do you call it? The, um, you know, the baseball dad, you know, uh, little league dad. And yeah. it wasn't like that at all. He, he hired other coaches to work with me. And after the fact, he told me, you know, he told those coaches, his only goal was that I, I still wanted to love riding and racing the bike, you know, decades later, you know, it's about longevity. Um, so, you know, I appreciate that, that he, you know, to hire other coaches for me, but then we had great conversations, you know, it was kind of a think tank back at home and we would talk about different training concepts and intervals and what we're seeing and bouncing ideas off each other. So I was always really healthy. Um, but I obviously got to see him speak and read his books. So I got to learn obviously a lot from him, but then he brought into you know, our business, so many other influencers that we both learned from and no one coach knows it all. You're always, always learning. Um, I don't, I never want to believe, you know, I know everything and I'm not an expert of, of everything. I think good coaches are really good generalists. They might have an expertise in an area, but no coach is an expert in nutrition and biomechanics and psychology and strength training and physical rehab. And, you know, so I really admire coaches that bring, they create a a team of experts around the athlete. I really love like that concept. I definitely see that at the pro level. So I've always tried, I always tried to emulate that, you know, with my athletes and refer them out to experts. It's awesome. You know, within the family, we also had great times. It wasn't all racing, you know, like my, our family vacation when I was 14, we got a one-way ticket to Oregon and we rode to San Diego. We rode down the coast, you know, and I was 14. I spent two weeks on my bike and it, there was no racing. It was just, you know, long, easy days checking out, you know, the highway one and 101. So we had great vacations like that, you know, riding in Europe and stuff. And so it was just part of our family growing up. Was he pretty on board when you pitched the idea of training pigs to him? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, he felt the pain. I was like, dad, we're, we're looking at pieces of fax paper and email attachments. And, you know, we'd three hole punch the paper. We put it in a binder, put it up on the shelf. But then for the same athlete, we get a heart rate file attachment in an email. Well, how do you merge those two? You know, right. He obviously saw the, the possibilities and the benefits, you know, right when I pitched this concept. Um, but he really had no idea. And he was just like, Hey, yeah, go for it. See what you can do. So it sort of like became an, just my own personal pet project to try and go after. And luckily it kept, you know, working out. Do you ever struggle with the idea that like, there's like too much information? Is that ever like a concern? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially now that we have these sleep monitors and glucose monitors and oxygen, blood oxygen, muscle oxygen, you know, sensors. And, you, you know, you really need to filter through it. Not every single piece of data is has equal importance. Also, the more data that comes in, the more bad data you'll get. <laughs> yeah. So you need to kind of have, you know, red flag up like, is this quality data? Is it bad data? Um, unfortunately, like I've done a test where I had two different sleep monitors on and they both told me opposite numbers, you know? So right. do I, which one of those do I trust? Methodologies. So absolutely an athlete could get very overwhelmed. Coaches could become very overwhelmed. So I think each coach needs to, needs to decide and edu educate themselves. It's, it comes down to reading and talking and learning from others and there's great valuable data out there and it's not of equal importance every single day of the year. You know, right. some data is more important dur during the, you know, prep phase versus during the, the peak phase, you know, um, or when you're coming back from being sick, you're going to look at different data than when you're in peak form. So it ebb and flows and it's a, it's a difficult, difficult uh, thing to figure out, but everybody sort of has to get educated and decide for themselves what's, what's the most important thing to look at now today, but keep an open mind. Like things are going to advance. They're going to become more and more accurate. Um, and more and more of this data will be crunched, you know, by computers and it will make the coach smarter. Um, we're at a little bit of a kind of a weird phase right now. Yeah. I've been using this, uh, this kind of like power meter for running yeah. and I like it, it spits out a number, but I have no idea how to like, <laughs> how to use that number. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess the downside right now to running with power is it's, it's almost like each device has its own algorithm. Right. Whereas cycling a watt is a watt. Like, we, right. you know, we, you know, it should be the same between a power tap and an SRM and a cork. Um, running power meters, they aren't all the same. They have different, you know, algorithms. And so you really need to stick with one. When did uh, cycling power meters kind of come onto the scene? I'd say like early, early adopters were like mid nineties, you know, Greg LeMond okay. and, you know, those type folks. But then late nineties is when it started to come more like commercially available in terms of price point. SRM was still probably $3,000, but power tap was the first one to come out. It was actually called, there's a company called Tune, T-U-N-E, and PowerTap bought Tune and became PowerTap. Um, but I had a, a Tune power meter probably in 98 uh, and started, you know, training with power, you know, in 98. Um, but again, they were still very expensive. Um, that was probably 1200 bucks or something, right? Um, and now they're, down to, now they're down to like 330 bucks or so, right? So... And some bikes, 
sorry, some bikes actually come with them. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they, so they kind of like coincided with training peaks in a sense. Yeah. That was one of those trends. I mean, we were early and again, there was two different uh, problems. There was first buying the power meter, getting it on the athlete's bike. And then secondly, convincing the athlete to download it. And then right. third after that was upload it. You know, that, it's, that was a, a lot of steps. Um, and a lot of athletes didn't even want to touch a computer. Like literally, we would go to Tour de France cycling training camps and athletes would not own computers, you know. And so the team or myself, you know, like once a month, we'd have to get together with that athlete and download the last 30 days with the data. And, you know, we were 30 days too late, you know, <laughs> right? getting to it. So uh, that, there was still a lot of hurdles. Yeah, which I mean, the idea of like, not wanting to download something on your phone now, which takes a handful of minutes sounds absurd. Like, but yeah, I could easily see why there'd be like resistance to that back then. Yeah. Well, uh, right now, it's seconds. Yeah. Like, I, I, I hit stop on my watch and it's in training peaks, you know, within 15 seconds or something. And it, in that time, it went, you know, all the way to space and the Garmin and Garmin to training peaks, right? Yeah. And maybe three other websites. So <laughs> it, it feels like it gets better every year, too. Cool. Yeah. I wanted to, to pivot a little bit and talk about uh, podcasting a bit with you because I know you started, yeah, you started a podcast uh, around the same time as is off the couch in uh, 2018. Um, what prompted that? Oh, gosh, I think really what prompted it was edu- educating coaches. You know, we wanted to bring experts that we worked with into the spotlight. And how can we get other coaches and athletes to learn from other experts besides just our blog? So that was kind of the more natural, you know, it's just a, a great trend. Podcasting has been an amazing trend. Love how that's developed. And it was just a, a great resource to bring to not only just our, our customer base, but anybody interested in whatever the topic may be. And we're always in contact with so many great experts, um, but it's more like coach centric. So what can other coaches learn from this coach or this expert or this dietitian or this sports psychologist, this strength, you know, expert that they could apply with their athletes. And it may not be that they coach, you know, you can learn something from a triathlon coach, even though, you know, you only coach uh, cyclists, right. Or runners or F1 drivers. I mean, we have coaches on training peaks that only work with mountaineers. You know, they're summiting Mount Everest, big expeditions, and all their clients are in training peaks so they can manage their fitness. Like fitness is number one thing needed to summit these, these big, big 8,000 meter peaks. Um, so you can learn, there's something to be learned from these coaches as well, even though they don't coach, a, you know, a, a, one of the big endurance sports. So it's nice to open people's minds to um, learning from other folks. And I really want to kind of cross-reference and cross-pollinate between sports. I think that's really healthy. If you're a triathlon coach, coach, don't just listen to triathlon podcasts. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we see that in in trail running right now too. There's been a lot of kind of overlap between, you know, obstacle course racing and folks coming over from triathlon. So yeah, it makes sense that, that you pull from a bunch of different categories um, that can definitely be beneficial. You can learn from swimming coaches on how to incorporate intervals. You can learn from cycling coaches how to incorporate data. You know, there's each, they each kind of have their own kind of expertise, if you will, you know, to learn from that, that can benefit all the other sports. 
You mentioned that uh, you had a race coming up. Oh, yeah. I've been really... I have two seasons. I do ski mountaineering. So I'm a master's national ski mode champ um, last couple of years. And so I kind of... I do ski racing, um, ski mountaineering um, six months a year. I kind of come out of that in May. And then I go into like gravel and mountain bike race season. So uh, I've had to... July 4th is a firecracker 50 in Breckenridge. And I had to pull out of that because of COVID. I pull out of another gravel race. So my next race I'm still signed up for is steamboat gravel. And I actually won the masters 100 mile event last year. So I'm dialing back my expectations. I, it's okay if I'm not on the podium, you know, just maybe to get out there and just have a great time. I'm just, I'm definitely nowhere near the fitness level I usually have this time of year because of COVID. So yeah, just trying to, but at least with gravel, you can just jump in and have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I think like that scene is so much fun and it's, it's a a sport that I want to get more into because yeah, I mean, running, running year round uh, can be pretty brutal on the body. Uh, Yeah. So, well, you know, I mean, ski mountaineering, schemo, I mean, a lot of the top Europeans, Oh yeah. You know, they obviously do, Mont Blanc, UTMB, you know, all the, I mean, Killian Journey is the most famous, right? Who, yeah, it's kind of, he has two seasons, you know, a lot of those guys have two seasons. And what's great about Schemo is it's not, there's no pounding on the body. You know, you can come out of it really kind of like, you know, knock on wood, injury free. Um, but you've had this amazing aerobic um, conditioning and every single one of my races is above 10,000 feet. Like I'm above 3,000 meters every single race. And we, we race between 10 and 13,000 feet, you know, and all my training is above 10,000 feet. Um, so you really come out of the winter with like this great aerobic engine. Um, and then I, I can adapt it, you know, to cycling, but certainly a lot of folks adapt it, you know, to running. Yeah, I was at uh, Broken Arrow, I guess, two weekends ago, which is a race in in Tahoe. And uh, Cam Smith, who trains out of, yeah, he trains out of Crested Butte and is a super accomplished, I think, I guess, Schemo athlete. Watching him run the VK course was insane. That guy just has such an engine. And I imagine, yeah, it's largely attributed to um, to Schemo. We have Grace Stayberg as well. Oh, yeah out of Breckenridge. She's in Chamonix now for the summer, just doing whole ultras. And she did a vertical last weekend. I don't know which one, but she's, you know, our fastest female. And it's, you know, the next Olympics is the first time it will have schemo in the Olympics. So yeah, Cam is, yeah, an amazing, amazing athlete. So I see him at quite a few of those, uh, the schemo races. Uh, before I let you go, is there kind of any new, like new piece of tech that you're excited about moving forward? New tech, I guess these new kind of devices and wearables coming out. Um, I mean, I guess like core is, I, I, I just remembered what I was dealing with today. Um, core body temp. It's just a little small little device that you, you strap onto your heart rate um, strap on your chest. And uh, I know a number of the Tour de France teams are actually racing with it. You can actually see it under their jersey sometimes when they unzip. You'll see a little white patch looking thing on their chest strap and that's a core um so it is interesting especially for ultra runners to be you know if you could accurately track in an easy method right (laughs) non-invasive core body temp i think there's a there's some great kind of research starting to come out around how to actually incorporate that into training that's a stress 
that you can add to training to actually make you better, much like altitude training. We go to altitude for, you know, to, to become faster, but through heat training, you can build up um, blood volume, you know, and other enzymes. And so learning more about that. And like, if you do too much heat training, obviously that can be detrimental, but now you've seen athletes that are incorporating sauna work, you know, um, sauna time after their training uh, to, you know, coming into a peak phase into a race. And especially around some of these hot races, you know, like the last Olympics, but it can be beneficial for you, even in cold races. Hmm. You know, if you adapt to the heat, it means you have more blood volume and it actually is going to help you in cold races as well. So I think there's something to like heat load. You don't want to do that every single day, but I think it strategically can be put into a training block to help you gain, you know, a bit more, but like anything, just like altitude, you could do the opposite. It could totally tank you. And if you're new coming to altitude right before a big A race, you know, it's going to be 50, 50, you know, and more than likely it's, it's 60, 40, like not good, (laughs) you know? So the more you do do it, the more data you have, you see how your body reacts, the more you can, you know, plan for the future. But I guess that's one of the things I'm excited about is um, learning more about how the body adapts to heat training and how to incorporate that more into training. Yeah, I think that'd be like almost perfect for a race like Western States, which happened uh, this past weekend. I know I had a handful of friends that were training for that. And uh, they're like, yeah, like altitude and heat get you really, really fit. And, you know, Western States starts up in Tahoe. So you're at altitude. And then by the time you're at Auburn, temperatures are in triple digits. Yeah. Um, So, well, yeah, I think also a lot more athletes could take advantage of heat training than they can take advantage of altitude training. Exactly. Like, like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You could use a sauna, you know, three times a week after your hard run, you know, and that might be a great protocol. Um, and you might see great benefit from that. Um, but again, the day after that you're, you might feel like crap, you know? So how many days after that do you feel like crap? You know, that's the type of thing you have to learn, but you can do that at any altitude, you know, at sea level or anywhere, but to replicate altitude is very difficult. Nice. Sweet. So where can uh, people find you in training peaks just uh, on social? Yeah, I'm, I pretty much only Instagram. Um, so just Instagram backslash forward slash whatever, uh, Dirk Friel. So you can hit me up there, direct message, whatever. Same for training peaks. We're in Instagram, but we're training peaks is in everything, you know, Twitter and Facebook and everything. Cool. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot, Matt. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Dirk for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.